The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Atlantic City Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Up, you savages. This is the Protect Your Neck podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst who's working five five days a week on MMAJunkie.com and five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio. But on this here program, the Protect Your Neck podcast, we are here to break down high-level MMA, and that's what we're going to do today, tonight. Hopefully, you're listening to this before the fight. And the fights I'm talking about, of course, is UFC. Atlantic City, it's going down on the boardwalk this Saturday, April 21st. Today is 420. <laughs> 420, bro. That's right. I am enjoying 420 like how normal kids do with a Heineken. That's how y'all celebrate 420, right? I'm just kidding. Come on. We all know how we celebrate 420. But I am still at work, not kind of not at work. Well, hopefully not at work. I am drinking, right? I'd be drinking on the job if I was at work. No, 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 no. Um, <clears throat> on my own time, I guess. We're on the Protecting Neck podcast's time, which well, it was drinking time, let's be honest. Um, just finished at <laughs> Junkie Radio, but here in the studio, I guess is what I'm trying to allude to say. If you're hearing ambient noises in the background, that's what it is. I'm here at the Mandalay Bay here in Las Vegas. And uh, we're going to be breaking down UFC Atlantic City. I waited, but it's probably good because I would have broken down two fights that I wouldn't have needed to. And as you know, Dan Tom usually tries to get it done 24 hours or so before the fights, and I will be doing so here. I'm actually recording this an hour and a half before fight time. I don't plan on going over an hour plus the editing time. Yes, this should be technically released to you over 24 hours before fight time, which, you know, for me... For me, that's my, my, my prerequisite, I should say. Um, you know, as far as getting these things released, I would like to release them earlier. But as you know, trying to spare the excuses. But yes, as per usual, Dan Tom's crazy schedule, which is already crazy, busy as it is, not exaggerating with the 80-plus hours, does not leave a lot of room for error. Um, so when you have these back-to-back fight weeks, those also don't leave a lot of room for error. So when there is error, even if it's not of your fault or kind of semi your fault because you're sick or not your fault because someone threw a dolly at the bus and set your work behind on what should have been your vacation, yeah, yeah, it's hard to catch up, you know. And yes, I was just alluding to UFC 223, which I went to, and it sucks because another thing, I was going to record this podcast earlier, but I'm like, I'm, I, I don't like doing the expedited versions. I, I like them as far as like it stops Dan Tom from rambling. I think that's a good thing to have something that's kind of prepackaged, that's quick, that's a little more digestible, especially for a long-form gentleman like myself. There are pluses that come from it, um, and, and some of you have liked that too, which I appreciate that feedback. Good, bad, in the middle, it doesn't matter. Honest feedback is appreciated feedback, so I appreciate it. Uh, I, sh- I should say I appreciate that. But uh, you know, it, it's funny because. I don't. Sorry, I'm a little distracted right now. Like, you know, it's, it's funny because like people would come up to the window here at MMA Junkie Radio. We have like a studio, the Mandalay Bay Sportsbook, and they just like gawk at us. And some dude was just giving me a weird look just now. Almost reminded me of that Wild Bill-looking character from Dodgeball. You know, when they're doing the voluntary car, wa- car wash, and he's like, you can get in there nice and deep. Like, I was just getting that look. So if I stammered, if I stammered, that's why. And I apologize. Where the fuck was I? Oh yeah. I, I kind of, you know, as much as, you know, I, I like the, the feedback and I like the, the, the shortened versions of the podcast, it's a little tough because then I'll miss stuff like, I'll miss stuff like I want to talk about. Like I put a couple notes on here for, for an example, like the pizza story in, in New York City, I tweeted about it, but there was, I'm not going to go over it or get into it now because there's no sense in really getting too much into that, much less even really getting too much into UFC Glendale, which... I will provide a brief recap here on that car that happened last weekend in just one second. But the weekend before that, where this kind of crazy last three weeks kind of started, was supposed to be vacation for UFC 223. And yeah, you guys all, all know that. But the, the pizza story I was alluding to is funny. I, I got some Roberta's pizza, which I did say was the highlight of my trip. Got to get, get, get it to the road show to John Morgan and 
cold coffee and all those gentlemen. But it was funny when I, when I was bringing the pizza in after I already picked it up and got, got the car and heading into the yeah, Sheridan where, where uh, John and Ken, Kenny were staying. And apparently it wasn't the fighter hotel, the Sheridan, but it was like where the guest fighters were. So you saw like Brian Ortega and a bunch of all these guys there, right? But it was funny. When I came in with the pizzas, literally the whole hotel lobby was empty. I think even the nighttime clerk or desk person or whatever was like actually away from their post. Literally, the only two people as Dan Tom enters with these steaming hot, like multiple boxes of pizza on pizza, like I'm, you know, straight out of a movie. And the only two people in the lobby were Alir Latifi and Stipe Miocic. Like, I kid you not, I could have gotten raped for my pizzas right there. And old Dan Tom wouldn't have had a word to say. I would have had to have just surrendered the pizzas because what are you going to say to those guys? They want a slice? Dude, I couldn't say no if I wanted to. If I could, you'd just throw me into a ball. But, I mean, I can't, like, share little stories or, like, um, another one that was fun. I just want to share real quick and we'll move on. Because this kind of was apropos. I, I totally forgot about it until I was watching tape study for the card at hand. Yes, we are talking about UFC Atlantic City. I'll be getting to it in a second. Don't worry. But when I was sitting down for the flights uh, in my row, which was filled with Russian and Irish, which was kind of nerve-wracking. as a, Like, are these guys going to fight? What's going on? It's like I'm sitting in the Middle East over here. It's like it's like it's a war going to break out. But uh, what was pretty funny, though, sitting, sitting down for UFC 223 in Brooklyn was... There was a guy, like, randomly yelling. And what I love about a joke is not just a stupid joke or a funny joke or a stupid funny joke, but one that's really stupid and becomes funnier the more you repeat it, especially when you're not repeating it to be funny and you're just repeating it for the real comic value and you're really just selling to it like you mean it. And there was a guy just that whenever Dan Mergliata was reffing, was just, he kept yelling, Dan! And he kept like anytime like it was just quiet and there'd be nothing going on, he'd be like, Dan And it was just hilarious. It became funnier every time he said it. Now, maybe you would have to have been there, maybe you would have to had a few drinks and maybe an edible candy to enjoy the same experience I was having. But regardless of that fact, it was very funny. And what made it even funnier was that when I was doing my tape study for Atlantic City, UFC Atlantic City, car we're previewing on this year program. I kept hearing like what sounded like literally the same guy. Like I know they're all we all mimic each other. You know, if you're playing, you know, UFC crowd bingo, there's you know, kick his ass sea bass guy. There's the leg kick guy. There's, we can go down the list, right? But I kept hearing you guys yelling. Anytime Dan Mergliata was refing a fight that I was doing tape study on, there'd be a guy yelling, "Dan Mergliata!" Is this something I'm missing, folks? In other words, this long setup. Is this something that old Dan Tom is mixing in the lexicon? Is this something that's been around? That I'm only picking up on now? Well, regardless if it is or isn't, I appreciate the fuck out of it. It was funny. Um, but, but yeah, that's why I kind of like being able to do the longer podcast. I can get into random side tangent stories. But don't worry, I won't be doing that here. In fact, that is the last of the UFC 223 talk. Except I will close with this by quoting Nate Diaz. Because, again, anytime Dan Tom like tries to do a vacation, I notice, like, is when shit hits the fan. Like, I think the last time I tried to do vacation, we were coming off that insane end of 2017, like, 11-fight week straight run. And I tried, God forbid, I tried to reward myself with an actual vacation. And, yes, as you know the story, Dan Tom got sick, um, lost his coach before that, girlfriend left during the process of that, had to get surgery because of the sickness that I caught from the girlfriend, not because of Dan Tom, because Dan Tom takes care of his health. It was a fucking miserable experience. And then with this card, which, again, I'm not going to get too into, and, and a bunch of people already touched on it, and they're, you know, for the most part, negative experiences from having to be a part of that madness and circus that was UFC 223, you know, taking a vacation. And, and again, Dan Tom does not get to sleep for, you know, longer than six hours straight like I was planning to, does not get the vacation like I was planning to. I got to do some fun stuff, again, like I recap. But I'll be honest, a lot of it was spent awaiting orders and rewriting breakdowns for the umpteenth fucking times. So on that note, fuck you, Conor McGregor. You're taking everything I work for, motherfucker. To quote the great Nick Diaz. So I never, I never sent him in with Nate Moore there. So there, there, there's my real uh, feelings on that. UFC Glendale was pretty cool, though. Made up for that. It was like a crazy long card. 14 fights. And all the fights stayed intact. Which I don't want to complain about, except for the fact that it was a Fox card on the West Coast. So... It, like, happened kerplot middle of the day. I know this is where UK fans come in. Well, we fucking have to stay out. I fucking let you fucking asshole. I get it. I get it. I understand. 
But the point is, this is a West Coast sport, and and another point that I was driving home with my co-host on MMA Junkie Radio, George and Goes, who are soccer or football, however you want to call it, fans. In fact, they are Manchester United supporters, and they do their diligence as Americans and wake up every morning on the weekends to watch, or not every morning, whenever there's a game, and to watch the game because they love the team, they love the sport. And guess what? At the end of the day, it's an English sport and they're American, so they have no room to complain. So I don't think I've ever heard them complain about having to wake up. So I'm not hating on my brothers and sisters from the UK or that part of the world, but just saying, MMA is an American sport, and uh, that, that it does go both ways. I can't speak, so I'm not trying to thump my chest here. Believe me, I'm not trying to come at you. You know, I don't watch football, so believe me, I don't got much room to speak. But I'm, I am going to throw that out there because I know UK people love to always come at us. But anyways, yeah, that UFC Glendale card literally just took up the whole day. And uh, and and I, I barely got ready in time to do that because, like many people, apparently a lot of us were confused and thought UFC Glendale was a week after UFC Brooklyn. You might think we're crazy, and yes, at the end of the day, it's our fault for not looking at the schedule after, our, after all. We are media, and it's our job to look at that. But as you know, the UFC website is, is full of fake news. So I think what happened is, at least speaking for myself and people that were like me, who actually, in our defense, did our due diligence. We got ahead. A lot of us in the media will write our schedules out. I write my schedule out so I know what I'm looking for ahead of time. And I keep two notepads. The notepad that I refer to as the Hydro, which is my to-do list that never gets done. And I have another notepad on top of that, which is just a kind of outline for the UFC cards ahead. And I believe there was a typo. I know what? The UFC Website having a typo. I know it sounds crazy, but there was a typo, and uh, I think they, they put the wrong date. So I didn't find out till like the Sunday after UFC 223. I'm on a plane and I'm like, oh shit, I have a whole bunch of analysis to do this week. So yeah, essentially that Conor McGregor thing, the UFC debacle, fucking up their website because they can't put right information on there. Through old Dan Thompson, Dan Tom did not have a chance to even start on the right foot. Not to mention that Dan Tom, whether it was surgery or the sickness that I caught earlier in the year, have not has not had literally a single day of health in 2018, which is making me grateful for my health. But yes, uh, I caught something that, again, not going to rehash, but I almost passed out. It was kind of a throat infection that was going around. And I thought I was out in the clear, but when I got back from New York, it got worse. So yeah, I've been battling through that too. So again... Anybody who's listening since last April, the UFC National Show with Lobov Swanson and know the madness that me and my dog both went through health issues at the same time, Dan's bad luck continues. So that, that is why I know I said I wasn't going to give an excuse. I just gave an elaborate one. But it's the fucking truth. It's the fucking truth. I almost want to like periscope my life like it's a Truman Show. Like I'm not making this up, people. I'm not procrastinating. I'm not making up excuses. Like This shit does happen, and I'm going to go nuts and pull my hair out or jump off a cliff soon if it keeps happening. Regardless, what is happening, what does matter, the reason why you tuned in is, of course, for a little card called UFC Atlantic City, UFC Fight Night 128, Troy King Place on the Boardwalk in New Jersey. And as per usual on this year podcast, we are going to break down the whole card from bottom to top under 15 minutes, and we're going to be starting it. So I'm not doing too bad. We're going to be starting the card now. Um, there's going to be no breaks except for the unedited break I'm going to take now to use the little boys room because I don't want to do any editing. And when I come back here in a few seconds, we are going to start the breakdown for UFC Atlantic City. All right, I'm back and we are going to break down from bottom to top as promised UFC Atlantic City. I feel much better now that I'm not rushing through my words and holding back that wall of fluid. All right, Dan, enough details. Let's get into UFC Atlantic City. Starting, well, we're still fighting, uh, starting in Fight Pass, even though we've lost two bouts now. Hey, two less bouts to talk about. But we are starting with Keita Nakamura versus Tony Martin. Um, yeah, this fight was one that jumped out uh, to me initially. And after the tape study, yeah, yeah, this is uh, this is one that caught my eye. And, and it is on the plays because Keita Nakamura is a plus 200 dog, even though I got him plus 215. Looks like a little bit of money starting to come in on him now. And Tony Martin minus 240. Now, I've been wrong about Tony Martin before. I'm always nervous about betting guys I've been wrong about before. You know, he's, he has been improving. Um, the, you know, perhaps there was truth to the weight cut, especially finding out not that it was just bad weight cuts, that he was a guy that probably should have been fighting at 170. But 
he had a bit of the old acid reflux disease, and that kind of came to light in a recent interview. Not recent, but I think it's the last interview that we did with him here on Junkie Radio to Tony Martin. And uh, somebody who's dealing with his own stomach issues within that neighborhood, boy, do I have sympathy for those things. And I can't imagine having to cut weight and be a fighter. Um, even more sympathy for old GSP, who, you know, I, even though I always credit as the best resume, one of the best fighters ever, I never not give him that credit. Yes, I also criticize old GSP, maybe harder on him than I should. But, yeah, those stomach issues, old Dan Tom has sympathy about. Regardless, Tony Martin moving up to welterweight for the first time to meet Keita Nakamura, also a former lightweight who's been on a, I don't know about resurgence, but just doing well at welterweight. A lot better than even people like myself who like Keita Nakamura thought he would do. In fact, the two losses he had in the UFC were, I dare say, impressive losses, if there is such a thing, where, what was he, like minus 800 or something stupid against Tom Breeze? Ended up giving him some scares for reasons that I'm about to get into in this breakdown. Mainly having to do with his sticky style of grappling, back takes, body locks, and just kind of transits in close, which we'll talk about here because I believe that's a key. And then, of course, uh, you know, beats Kyle Noak, beats Morono, has a little loss in between there, though, to a split decision loss to Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos, somebody, as you guys know, I'm pretty high on as far as an underrated guy. And no shameful loss because Dos Santos, bigger than his name, uh, you know, leads you to believe. And if you actually watch the fight, there's <laughs> a really strong argument that Kate Nakamura actually won that fight. Not a robbery, maybe, or anything like that, but there's a really strong argument that Nakamura won that fight. Yet this guy, Nakamura, never gets respect from the odds makers. And uh, so Martin's coming off a loss. The odds makers are clearly doing their homework because I don't disagree with Tony Martin necessarily being favorite here. I just don't think he should be that wide. Is it massively wide? No. But even 2-1 to one seems a little wider than I should think. Now, I, I got to believe it's, it's extra confusing because they make him a favorite, which tells me they're watching tape on Tony Martin. They're not just seeing a lightweight coming off a loss moving up in weight because that should mean he loses to Nakamura, right? But no, because if you actually watch Tony Martin's fight with Aubin Mercier, who, again... Less bad of a loss in hindsight, especially with Aubin Mercier doing as well as he's been doing. You realize that it was a close fight. And in fact, because especially because OAM is so awesome, and I love when fighters can admit stuff like this. Um, unlike a, a close decision maybe last fight where you know a fighter may or may not have once again uh, from certain weight class uh, not really give the credit due to their opponent or just admitted that they were in a close fight. You can probably guess what I'm talking about. Yes, it has to do with Dan's plays. Um, which I was going to talk about that fight, but I'm not going to. But, yeah, I love when a fighter can actually admit that they are in a fucking close fight or that, like, someone actually almost got them, especially after they've already gotten the money and the win on their record. Like, can you can you throw them a little verbal bone? It's not going to take off your record, your money, or your peace of mind at all. Could we call the truth for what it is? Sorry, you can tell that I hate when fighters don't give fighters their due credit. It's a real pet peeve of mine. But uh, OAM did that to Tony Martin. He gave him his proper credit, and it was really refreshing to see. So props to OAM and props to Tony Martin. You know, I got to imagine he is improving. Um, I know he trained, usually trained with Mark Delagrati. I got to imagine he's trained there here. I know he's also trained a lot of other places before, you know, all over the, the eastern coast, down to Florida, all the way up to Maine. So it's kind of hard to track where Tony Martin is. He's not very active on social media, but regardless, I'm sure he's coming in prepared. I'm sure he's training in with good people, but he loves the body lock. He loves pushing toward the fence, and he is 2-1 against Southpaws. Even in the Southpaw that he beat did not look the greatest on the feet. And uh, for that reason, I think Nakamura is live here. Nakamura is a very crafty Southpaw. He's got the check hooks and counter left crosses that you shouldn't leave home without. Of course, he's got that left liver kick, the most powerful, the best kick you could possibly throw, to quote Tim Lane, what is the one kick you wish you could land or have on any opponent? People are like, I want a knockout head kick. I want a Mirko Crow Cop kick. I want the spin wheel kick. No, the liver kick is the best one possible kick you can have in an arsenal because everybody has a chin. Not everybody has flexibility, but regardless if your opponent has a chin, regardless if you have flexibility, the liver shuts you the fuck down. So the liver kick is real important. Also something to watch for because Tony Martin's really tall. And when you're tall, your, your, your frame is a little harder to defend, whether it's from liver kicks or body lock engagements. The same body lock engagements that Nakamura likes, uh, that he was used to turn the tides in both victories and defeats, was able to scare his opponents with. I think Tony Martin's style plays right into those hands. Um, again, 
could Tony Martin win here? Sure. Does he deserve the favorite? I dare say yes, but I don't think he should be favored by this much. I think Nakamura is more than live. Nakamura is my official pick. And furthermore, Nakamura is a play. I'm playing him at my uh, one unit. Um, I want to say plus 215, but I saw he's moved down to plus 200, which will probably be what my article reads. Because, again, even if I make these plays and do my analysis early in the week, you know, the one down, uh, you know, I hate to say negative but, but or anything like that because nothing's negative about the best job in the world. But, yes. The betting article doesn't come out till Friday, which means I have to stay congruent and in line with the lines that are released that day, which only hurts me and limits my plays. But again, listeners of the Protecting Neck podcast, you guys know what's up. You guys probably already know what's up before you even listen to this, but that, that, is, that is my play. All right. Spent a lot of time on that fight, but that's, that, that's the reason why. Next fight, Corey Anderson, minus 135. Patrick Cummins, plus 115. This is another dog pick for Dan Tom, but not a play. In fact, this one's on the avoids list because it is so close and tangible. You know, Dan Tom is a big fan of high-volume fighters, wrestlers, uh, and when you can mix both, and that is Corey Anderson. And I defended Corey Anderson when maybe it wasn't popular to defend him. I might have picked Corey Anderson, and maybe it wasn't popular to pick him, but even Dan Tom, as much as I like to stand up for those type of fighters, even Dan Tom, as much as I am the last guy to criticize a fighter's chin because I don't like to do that, even I learned the lesson on Corey Anderson in the last fight, which is why I picked Ovin St. Pru in his last fight, because I said, Corey Anderson, it is the shin, and he is the type of fighter, as far as his sensibilities go, where he is winning a fight all the way to the point to where he isn't. And that's what happened in the Ovin St. Pru fight. Um, that's not necessarily what I see happening here. I actually see just Pat Cummins' pressure, and mixed with a few maybe shots landed, whether on the floor or in transit on the feet, helping sway the momentum of this fight his way. Pat Cummings is not the greatest striker. We also associate Pat Cummings with getting hit. The problem is Pat Cummings was hit because of really bad approaches, really bad styles matches, and mixing bad approaches and bad styles matches in the worst possible uh, with the worst possible approaches ever, which is going straight at the guy. That's why we saw Pat Cummings take all those losses. And not that it makes an excuse, not that it makes you feel any better for being a supporter of Pat Cummings, if you even are. But what it did prove is that Pat Cummings, even when he's going through hell shit in a hailstorm, he will come forward. And if the ref does let it go on, whether you agree with it or not, he will get himself back into the fight. And he even did so against Jan Blockowitz. Again, another another loss that doesn't look so bad in hindsight with Jan Blockowitz um, having his little resurgence of a run here. So uh, that doesn't look that bad. And again, Pat Cummins can swing. Sure, he's, he's striking not a strong point. Sure, he... he you know, I don't want to say inconsistent as a, as a bad or judgmental word, but inconsistent and by technically by definition because he's jumped around a lot of gyms. Yes, he has jumped a lot around of gyms, which you know doesn't necessarily make you think a guy's going to improve his striking. You know, even good fighters with good striking coaches spending multiple camps consistently with that striking coach doesn't promise gains in the striking department. So I'm not going to make false promises with my pick here of Pat Cummings in that department, but. Who's to say he can't hit him and hurt him, especially if Pat Cummings, who is the much better wrestler, and we haven't really seen that or anybody apply that on Corey Anderson. Part of it's because of matchup. Part of it, sure, is definitely because of his movement. But should Pat Cummings, who does pressure, you know, come hell or high water, he will pressure. I believe the wrestling and even his power shots and his swings um, having effect on Corey Anderson. So I'm going to take him, but no plays. It's on the avoid list. All right, next fight, Luan Chagas, minus 125, and Ciar Baja Drazada, plus 105. Um, almost put Ciar on the fantasy lineup. Almost picked Ciar, but this was a back-and-forth one, and the line is indicative with how close this fight is. It is the most close, closest and most volatile fight in the card, in my opinion. I think the line represents that. Um, but I ended up picking Chagas because, as you know, listen to a past podcast, I'm a fan of his style, man. I'm a fan of that subtle stance-switching style, how he stays just out of range, hitting shots, coming forward. Always trying to do little subtle things to mix up the timing, too, whether he's throwing those off-timing back fists, which opened up his counter cross, that opened up the finish in his last fight against Jim Wallhead, or just otherwise, just, you know, basic, a little more blatant speed changes and changing up his speed. So, I mean, there's a lot, you know, to like from Luan Chagas in that regard. Uh, Sierra Bada-Dazada, though, how, how do you not love this guy, you know? I came on to, you know, came came learning from him from, you know, when he was facing John Alessio and these guys uh, over in the Netherlands. 
through MMA Junkie Radio, the studio I'm in here now, and, and the program I, I listen to it through. And furthermore, uh, CR's interviews himself with Junkie Radio, talking about you know the adversities that he has faced. And I don't have friends from Afghanistan, but I have friends from Palestine and other places of the world uh, that aren't pretty from that part of the world, you could say. And um, it's no joke what these guys have to go through. These not guys, these people have to go through and that, especially us as Americans, like to just write off people from the Middle East in some kind of black or white, crude, stereotypical, typical demeanor, but I personally find these stories, adversities, and struggles from those people just, just fascinating and so empowering, and C.R. Bahadurzada is one of those guys, if you listen to his stories, just having to trek through dead bodies of people kind of laying around, and then the adversity that dudes went through is, is really no joke. Hard not to be a fan of him as a fighter. He throws really good counter crosses and hooks coming forward off the back. Underrated wrestling, underrated takedown ability. Does really good when he's on his back. Not the best when he's on his bottom, but we saw he's got a relentless get up ability. Will get up, knows how to get up, and won't quit on himself. Um, as we saw in the last fight, or reminded maybe I should say in the last fight against Rob Wilkinson. Don't blame anybody for taking on CR, a shot on Sierra Bahadurzada, especially if that plus 105 grows, but as close to pick a mods, especially when I was doing my analysis on it, just hard wasn't. It was hard not to side with the more technical guy in Luan Chagas, so that's who I went with. All right, next fight on the prelims, Mirab Davilishvili versus Ricky Simon. Um, I'm going with Ricky Simon. I think the oddsmakers got it right by slightly favoring him. I was high on Davilishvili, picked him, and played him against Frankie Signs, but even though I scored the fight, that uh, should have went for him, and a lot of people thought it should have went for him. It didn't. That said, it wasn't a robbery. It was a close fight. Um, Davalos really did not make the best count for himself on top. I think with a little more work, he put a lot of work into the takedowns. He was aggressive, dude. I'm not trying to say he didn't work for it. He did work for it, and I thought he should have won it. But it was, the truth is, he probably could have done a lot more on top to really have secured that. Um, and he's raw. You know, he's got a lot of work to do. Um, he's rawer than the 27 that he's listed, but it's weird because I, I'm pretty sure I made this note before where he looks older than the age that he's listed, too. But maybe that's that's a thing from that part of the world. I'm not sure. He is training with Sarah Longo, so I expect to see some improvements. By the way, we had Ray Longo on the program, and it was the first time talking to him. Always been a, a fan of Ray Longo for obvious reasons, and, and it was just cool to talk to him. And apparently, like... Like, I was say, like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what I brought up. I think I brought up some, like, Jeet Kune Do or, like, some traditional martial arts shit, which I'll tend to do with, like, interview topics because, you know, that, that honestly is my thing. And it's just a nice way to kind of commiserate that that's not the right word. Maybe even, dare say, loosen up, loosen them up. But, um, but yeah, man, hit it off with uh, Longo, and he dug the traditional martial arts talk. Next thing I know, it's funny, like, yesterday or maybe this morning, I don't know when, I, I get to my Facebook really late. Anybody who messages me knows I'm bad at checking it, but, uh, Longo added me on there. I'm like, oh, sweet. Ray Longo added me. Even though I'm like, that's not my thing. I don't really add fighters or coaches or known people or anything. I could give a shit about that, to be honest, you know. But Ray Longo's a nice guy. So I'm like, hey, cool, cool. Ray Longo added me. And I'm thinking, I'm like, wait. Ray Longo's got two fighters fighting on this card, and I just picked against both of them. Great, Dan. Great, great start. Great start there, Dan. <laughs> so, not trying to name job. Just trying to just trying to share that, you know, Dan Tom and his, his, his ever... His uh, ever ever luck with the old timing, but uh, I got I got Ricky Simon here. I got the I got the Hawaiian guy. He we had him on the show recently too, and um, I really like what Simon had to say, man. And uh, you know, he's training out there in the Pacific Northwest where he's from, uh, and uh, I just like what I just like what he offers. You know, we've seen him, we've seen him able. He can get the finish on the feet or on the floor, but like. You know, as, as beautiful as his last fight was against Vinicius, I, I really liked that, that fight with Donovan Frilo. Because even though Donovan Frilo, obviously not the same style of fighter, maybe not the same wrestler, nor even maybe the same type of explosion as Merab, but we saw him, even when he's frustrated and a contract's on the line and he wants to get a fancy finish for both himself, his job, and his potential boss, Dana White, we did see Ricky Simon be able to fight a more conservative fight and neutralize a guy and play for positions. Because as we saw, uh, Dear Miles... Uh, Merab the village really whether he's being offensive or defensive doesn't exactly hold positions very well so I'll take Ricky Simon alright Ryan LaFlair minus 150 uh, that fight's by the way also on the avoid list and so is Chagas Bahadurzada so that those are the three that takes care of our avoid list next fight could be on the avoid list but it's funny the lines are tasty enough on each side and the arguments are tasty enough on each side where you know what I don't blame you if you go either way on this fight um, I'm I'm staying away. I think even in fantasy altogether. 
But uh, that is Alex Garcia, plus 130 underdog versus Ryan LaFlair, the minus 150 favorite. Um, I came in initially leaning toward Alex Garcia. That could be recency bias. Alex Garcia recently won and had an upset, whereas LaFlair recently lost and lost in somewhat of an upset, at least according to the odds. But LaFlair, you know, he was kind of hit with a perfect shot there from I me. Mean, he's been rocked before, sure, and you can draw your own speculations there. But he really was hit with a perfect counter right hand by Alex Oliveira. Again, a guy in hindsight, when you look at things in hindsight, was that, was that really that bad of a loss, you know? Um, and again, LaFlair's 34. He's not maybe done. I think he's 34. I'm going off the top of my head. I don't have my notes right in front of me, clearly. But does that mean he's done? Does he have more to give? Um, I think he does. I think he's got enough for this fight. I think, in fact, I think, you know, to kind of put a positive spin on his stoppage loss, I think that's going to make him um, work much more smarter, which was going to be the same positive spin I had on Magomed Bibliotov, who was going to be a parlay piece. But, of course, as you know, Bibliotov's fight was withdrawn. Um, he was going to be a parlay piece just because of the numbers there. So if he won, we weren't going to get him in a minus 300 range, even if you think that's too high for Bibliotov. I think Okasaki can upset. Uh, obviously, that fight's not there. And then, of course, I didn't have it on anything except for the avoids list, so it didn't matter. But Smith versus Aspen Ladd with the whole weight-cutting debacle. By the way, MMA Junkie Radio got first dibs with Leslie Smith. Of course, shout-out to MMA Junkie John. Got first dibs with a sit-down video interview on-site with Leslie Smith. So go check out MMAJunkie.com and listen to our archives on replay at MMA Junkie Radio to get the full on that story. But, yeah, um, I don't blame anybody for playing either side of Alex Garcia or Ryan LaFlair because Alex Garcia harder to take down than most of course like I said counter right hand it's just Alex Garcia tends to get tired now I'm not willing to ride that train as hard as I was as far as picking against Alex Garcia playing against Alex Garcia even recommending Alex Garcia is one of those guys you want to look at for playing third round props right uh, against I should say but no no I'm not going to do that because Alex Garcia I did think even though we couldn't tell we didn't seem the most challenging, arduous battle uh, that goes the distance. I do think he's he looked in a rejuvenated shape, a refreshed shape, a rejuvenated spirit. So uh, Alex Garcia is live as shit here. But uh, that ends the prelims, and uh, I'm going to do another quick break with no edit here. I know I'm being lazy, but I want to get this out to you, and my bladder is going crazy. So crazy and lazy means another bathroom break, and when we come back, I'm going to break down the uh, main card for UFC Atlantic City. All right. And we're back for the main card, UFC Atlantic City. Kicks off in the lightweight division with Jim Miller, who comes in at plus 280, and Dan Hooker, minus 340. The line has climbed, but I can't necessarily disagree with, with the, both the public movement and the original open line, which I believe was in the 2-to-1 ratio uh, for Dan Hooker, of course. But yeah, you guys know I'm a huge fan of Jim Miller, one of my favorite fighters of all time, one of my favorite lightweights of all time, one of my favorite southpaws of all time, just the motherfucking man, um, one of the lightweights along with like Joe Lozon, those guys who, you know, like I described my, 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 my lightweight article, which is now another fucking thing that kind of had to go get fucked up from that whole McGregor bullshit. Anyways, those are the real lightweights that the UFC built, that built off the backs of, you know? Not not some big pay-per-view draw who came and went with money. No, actual guys who left it on the fucking line, who never said no to fights, who didn't do this political bullshit. They were here to test themselves as human beings, martial artists, um, quintessential underdogs. You know, if you look at who you know, uh, this type of archetype of fighter, and uh, and did very well for himself. The most winning is lightweight, but. Despite my clear, strong feelings toward Jim Miller in the lightweight division, I had to pick against him here for the new blood. In fact, a former featherweight who was moving up in a weight. Granted, don't let that fool you because Dan Hooker used to be a heavyweight. In fact, now that he's moved up to lightweight, we see his six-foot filled-out frame. He's just looking bigger than the lightweights he's actually facing. And like many of the trending fighters who've done well when they move up in weight, like the Robert Whitakers and so forth, well, Dan Hooker is showing the same. I've always been a fan of Dan Hooker. You know, uh, whether I picked him or not in the past, I've always been a fan of the guy. That's for damn sure. Maybe it's because it's a fellow Dan. Maybe it's because he's a switch dance guy who's super technical and loves breaking down fights and breaking down his opponents and is super diverse. You know, he hits on a lot of the check marks that I like too. So believe me, I love both these guys. But uh, obviously, I like Jim Miller more. But I'm not going to let it get in the way because I actually think Dan Dan Hooker takes this. And sadly, I'm hoping I'm wrong. 
but I think Dan Hooker takes it inside the distance. Um, he's really improved on fighting off the back foot, and, and even with his low hands, it, it, it's made him pay in his fights with Jason Knight uh, most recently. But uh, looks like Dan Hooker's really coming into his own, getting a feel for his style. Has that good guillotine, underrated and improved wrestling, especially against a guy like Mark Diacasey, who I wasn't, if you read my breakdown, I wasn't confident. It was a very close fight, and I, I said it, I reluctantly picking Diacasey for the decision because of the wrestling. And I think that's where it fell apart for him. That's Diacasey's flash or his heavy right hands can't do the job done. We see him go to his wrestling, right? And with Hooker being able to reverse underhook, spin him around against the fence, reverse positions, get out of positions, I think that played with DKC a little bit and uh, allowed Hooker to really have a performance that I already respected him, his skills, but I really respected him even more since then. Whereas Jim Miller, man, it's on a tough run, uh, three-fight losing streak. And again, three savages. Not just three savages. Some of them, some of them, really bad stylistic matchups. Although I still feel like he could have won the Pettis fight. I, I just feel like he, he really fought that poorly. He was sticking, moving instead of being the pressuring Jim Miller, which was like the complete opposite of what that fight called for. Which really confuses me, makes me scratch my head. But then when you hear Jim Miller questioning himself between rounds and if he should be there and if he still has it, boy, that just that's gotta sell you. You know, again, I hate criticizing guys, especially favorite fighters, but when they're doing stuff like that. I mean, the writing's on the wall, so I'm hoping I'm wrong, but the UFC is not really used to giving Jim Miller good fights in New Jersey, which was weird. Like, they gave him, like, Cerrone last time I think he was there and got fucked up, which sucks, but I think that might happen here. You know, Jim Miller always struggles against tall fighters. If you aren't familiar with that fact or aren't familiar with Jim Miller, I'm just go watch this fight with Nate Diaz because uh, after that it became pretty apparent. And then, you know, from Cowboy Cerrone to... Uh, even um, Pat Healy a bit, you know, just those longer frames give him trouble both standing and on the floor. So I got Dan Hooker. All right, uh, next flight. Aljamain Sterling, minus 110. Brett Johns, minus 110. I've been seeing numbers jump. I saw Aljo's the dog earlier this week. I saw Johns is the dog earlier today, and I was going to take a shot on it because that's what I've been waiting for because my pick is Brett Johns. It's not a confident one. It almost made the avoids list. It didn't make a plays list. It didn't make the fantasy list. I mean, this is, it's not volatile in a violent sense as the, you know, D-Rob uh, or, or Merab Davilashvili, or not, sorry, the Sierra Bahadur Zada Luan Chagas fight, I should say. But it is volatile in the sense that it's close, you know. Um, this is going to be a good match for both men to kind of see where they're at. But in looking closer, even though I initially was leaning towards Sterling, because I'm not trying to fade Sterling or just because he got knocked out. I mean, I'm wiping my hands off with him like a lot of people probably are. That's, that's not me. I'm not, it's not where this is coming from. It's more coming from the Brian Caraway fight. And, oh, you also have Brian Caraway. Of course you played him at the 350 dog plays. You're, you're Brian's your boy or whatever, which I don't, he's not my boy for one. You know, we're, we're, we're friends with each other on the map. First name basis have worked out, worked with each other. Yes, yes, but I mean, that wasn't the reason why I picked him. I, honestly, like I said, at the time, since, and ever since, wipe all that away. I would have picked Brian Caraway in that spot either way. I think he's a bad matchup, you know. The pressure fighting, the consistent pressure fighting with the punches, straightforward wrestling style, corralling against the cage, good top control and tra savvy transitions. That is going to trouble a guy like Aljamain Sterling, who's more of a funk-style guy, and a funk-style... You know, as, even though Aljamain is the better wrestler on paper, in other words, even though he, he's the better takedown guy on paper, he's the more diverse takedowns on paper, I actually see him being the more likely guy to end up on his back because of that funk style will allow you, whether you're in wrestling, where the funk style term originates, or you were in MMA or grappling, um, part of the reason why it's funky is because you are working and or even putting yourself in bad spots. Hence why you can see Aljamain, even though he's great at working out and scrambling and using it to his advantage. Don't get me wrong. There's a method to the madness. But for that reason, he can't be taken down. And against a guy like Johns, he's not your typical judo player. I mean, he loves preternatural ability to suck hips out from the fence. I mean, he does really good at corralling guys from there. Um, I wouldn't mess with it too much. I see him doing that and taking a... a, a a competitive decisions. I say competitive but clear, which I hate because it sounds like an oxymoron, especially in MMA, because we can have clear decisions that the judges absolutely fucked up. But I guess what I mean by that is it's going to be competitive as it'll be close, but if you know what you're watching, it'll be one of those fights where this is close, competitive. No guy necessarily got finishing close to finishing the other guy, but if you know what you're watching, I think it's going to be one of those where I'm like, you know, I'm pretty sure John's just controlled the action there. 
and dictated it. So we got to give it to him. So I'm going to go with John's by decision. Um, I haven't played it yet. I will play it if John's goes dog money, but I'm not suggesting you play either side. It's a really close fight, believe me. All respect to Aljamain Sterling. He's not done yet. He's going to improve. If he doesn't win, he'll be back. Or he can make us all eat our words, and that's totally okay, too, because Aljamain's awesome. All right, David Branch, plus 155. Tiago Santos, minus 175 the next fight. Uh, essentially, I have Tiago Santos here, but I almost stayed away from Tiago Santos, but from everything except for fantasy, because, again, I am picking Tiago Santos for, I know, surprise, surprise, his finishing ability, but not just because. You know Dan Tom. Dan Tom does not blindly pick finishing guys. And in fact, if anything... Old contrarian Dan Tom likes to pick against and bet against those uh, those finishers, those muscular, explosive, spinning kick dudes. Uh, Dan Tom loves fading those guys, and Dave Branch is perfect type of fighter to fade those guys against because he's deceptively tough. Even in fights that he should win or fights that he should lose, Dave Branch throughout his career has made a deceptive ability of being able to make fights close. And if you go look through his over a decade, over 20-plus fight career, the dude has only lost to four times. You want to know who that was too? A knockout loss to Anthony Johnson. I know, crazy. Who does Anthony Johnson knock out? Bear with me. A submission loss to Usamal Pajares. I know, embarrassing. Submitted by Pajares. Who has that happen to him? Stopped by Luke Rockhold. All right, well, we saw that fight. That was recently. But it is Luke Rockhold, no matter what you think of him. So cut him some slack there. And yes, of course, well, what would I say? Yes, of course, I don't even have it in front of me because you were a dumbass. Oh, yeah, the most noted knockout, the freak knockout by Gerald Harris, who, an underrated cat who hasn't lost to a lot of guys himself when you actually look at the record. So, again, David Branch is, is an underrated cat here. If he survives the storm, I could see him, you know, maybe taking like a 29 28 split decision over here with some control time, some murkiness against the clinch, but. Fading Tiago Santos, not just fading Tiago Santos, but against grapplers and wrestlers have done poorly for me. Because the only grappler I, I, I sided with Tiago Santos against was, well, I think Eric, Eric Spicely. And of course I was wrong. Eric Spicely fucked him up. And again, Spicely better than he thought. And Tiago Santos improving now that he's went over to American Top Team. Like many young Brazilians, or many young Brazilians from his camp, like an Alex Oliveira, who again is just making his resurgence. Alex Oliveira, another former Tata fight team member in Brazil, just like Tiago Santos, who now trains at American Top Team. And since then, um, Tiago Santos has proved me wrong, but not just proved me wrong, not the only reason why I'm betting against him here. He, he's honestly looked better. So I'm taking Tiago Santos here, but um, be careful if you're buying into this one. And I'll just leave it at that. All right, next one. Heavyweight fight. Chase Sherman, plus 265. Justin Willis, minus 325. Um, Justin Willis should be a decent favorite, but I don't know if he should be decent a favorite by that much because a decent favorite should be marked at a different numerical scale, in my opinion, when it comes to betting heavyweight fights because we all know what can happen there. So when you have heavyweights, especially, not that it even matters when it's a proven commodity, but especially when it's an unproven commodities and Chase Sherman and Justin Willis and you're putting a 3-1 to one ratio with the odds... My goodness, you are almost asking the MMA gods to just, just grant you the upset right there, to just make this fight an upset, because that, that's what it looks like it could be. Um, that said, I still have Justin Willis. Uh, you know, he, he, as I explained in my breakdown, which again, if any, if I, I miss any of these things in detail, you can always go read the in-depth for stuff that I miss, MMAjunkie.com or on my Twitter, at DanTomMMA. But, uh, yeah, I compared Justin Willis, like, if you were doing the UFC creative fighter and you were doing, like, an amalgamation between, like, Conor McGregor and Daniel Cormier, right? Like, that's what he looks like. Excuse me, I'm take a drink. Oh, that's good. Hmm. Oh, someone hit a play. All right, anyway, sorry about that. But, yeah, um... I got Justin Willis here. A play I was looking at, it's kind of tipping over for me where I like. Minus 175 is the over. Um, there is another prop that I like that I'll get to. That, that is actually priced higher, but more hittable. But uh, the good old heavyweight overs. I know a lot of sharps like those plays, so perhaps that's not a surprise. But this is a fight that kind of screams it because you have two talented dudes, whether you have a guy that you're hating on one guy and liking the other, or thinking both are, are, are better than they are because both have those um, tangible slash intangible facts that would make you think that. 
either side, or at least could. But uh, but yeah, Chase Sherman, even though he, he has that devastating elbow knockout and has a lot of knockouts, he's not necessarily your devastating, devastating heavy hitter, heavyweight, one-hit knockout power guy. He's a volume heavyweight. Takes him a lot of shots usually to get the job done. And Justin Willis has shown a chin. Chase Sherman, even though he's been stopped and takes a lot of damage in his defense, has shown a chin. And I believe that his pressure is going to be combated with not the counter left hand, which is potent and could do the trick. It could stop Chase Sherman from Justin Willis. But Justin Willis more than that counter left hand from his amateur days in MMA in 2013 to the more recent fights of now. Justin Willis loves level-changing takedowns, and he's caught a really decent level-changing takedown game. I think he's going to lean on that anytime Chase pressures, and that's why I picked not just Willis, but I picked him by decision because I see this going over. So over 1.5 minus 175, that's still playable right now. Just because it's not going to be in my betting article doesn't mean it's not playable. I think it's playable straight up. I think it's playable as a parlay piece. Maybe not as a parlay piece, but I think it's playable straight up. And, uh, yeah, that's my take on that fight. Justin Willis. All right, co-main event time. Cub Swanson, plus 195. Frankie Edgar, minus 235. I can get why Frankie Edgar is favorite, even with the looming intangibles of the quick turnaround, which, for the record, even though I'm picking Frankie Edgar here, I don't like that turnaround one bit. It makes me uneasy. It made me stay away from this fight completely. But, speaking of Edgar, speaking of this fight, I did pick Edgar, but even though I picked him, I still don't agree with the wide lines. I think that Edgar should only be slightly favored because of the circumstances, you know? Um, sure, Swanson is getting older. Sure, he lost. Sure, he's coming off a loss, too. But that loss, yeah, sure, was to another good guy who, in hindsight, not that bad to lose to, right? Brian Ortega. Again, we're talking about these hindsight losses not being as bad. This is another one. This is another one. But not only did the, is the difference that Cub Swanson lost his submission as opposed to Edgar losing by knockout, but Swanson was actually doing really well, and so was Edgar. Ed- Edgar was landing some shots, landing some heat as well, but but Swanson was doing really well before the, the submission. In fact, not only was he doing well, he was arguably letting Ortega borderline on fire with the counters that he was landing. Now, Ortega wasn't showing it because Ortega's tough, has a chin, and again, much, much more talented than we initially thought, but Ortega was getting lit up by counters, and counter shots is going to be the biggest enemy for Frankie Edgar on paper, even on a good day. Even if he's coming in perfect and in his prime, that's going to be the antithesis, you know, the, for, for Edgar. Much less, you know, coming off getting rocked what was it, exactly 50 or 40 days or so. It's something ridiculous. Like, man, it's hard to feel good. But at the end of the day, Frankie Edgar fights smart when he's supposed to, and his ground game and his control when he wants it to be there, the transition, the ground and pound. Even how he conducts himself in his scrambles is just superb. And at the end of the day, I, I think that's going to win him the fight. Now, Swanson has improved. In fact, I would argue that Swanson not only has improved more than the two since their last meeting, but more specifically, the improvements that Swanson has made has been in the wrestling department. You look at the Tatsuya Kawajiri fight. The problem is I don't know if it's going to be enough. I don't know if it's going to be enough, you know, uh, even though Swanson looks active and in shape and ready. He didn't have the longest training camp either for this. Let's the less we not forget. Um, so I'll be picking Frankie Edgar, but it's a very tentative pick. All right, main event time. Kevin Lee still minus 155 despite missing weight by a full pound, 157, I believe he came in at, to the comeback on Edson Barbosa plus 135. Um, the pick is Lee, but how about Edson Barbosa? Let's just take a minute to appreciate Edson Barbosa. I tweeted this and it got some traction, so clearly you guys agree. But how about that Edson Barbosa, huh? I mean, a top-ranked fighter, a top-ranked lightweight, no less, and one of the most talented stacked divisions, putting his shit on the line uh, every time. As far as I know, never saying no to a fight, no matter the styles match, because he just took literally the two worst styles matches. Literally, you couldn't pick two more two more worse matchups for Edson Barbosa than Khabib Nurmagomedov and Kevin Lee, and he just went and took both of them in what, on paper, looks to be the last fights of his prime. The fights he should be cashing out, the last fights he has for hope, important fights as they all are. They're all important fights, but especially these fights. What, is, what does Edson Barbosa do? He fights literally the worst two fucking stylistic matchups he could possibly pick, and doubles down on it by taking the fight when Lee misses weight, and as you know, 
that is dangerous for any fighter. That is dangerous, especially when the fighter is Kevin Lee, a, a top-heavy wrestler who's already freakishly fucking stupid strong. And especially if you were paying attention to the stat right now, which I believe we're in the 80 or 90 percentile, almost close to undefeated for fighters who missed weight in 2018 and were still able to win. That That is just, you know, again... If you're looking for reasons to back Barbosa, like, oh, the weight cut. Look, Kevin Lee missed weight. Well, I'm sorry to break it to you. The statistics will tell you otherwise. So uh, does that mean Barbosa can't win? No, he can absolutely win. In fact, watch out for Barbosa's left hook. It's the punch he's improved most with working with you know, Mark Henry and company. He punches his way in and out of exchanges, in and out of the pocket with it. But more importantly, left hands, left hooks, left crosses, coming forward, off the counter, from both stances have been Kevin Lee's common culprit. That's right, it's been, aside from the Leonardo Santos, the fight that we actually did get stopped, the rest of the times he's been rocked, dropped, or stunned, have literally, or maybe not literally, but pretty much, again, something I can guarantee you in the 90 percentile, all from left hands. So, you got a nice potent left hook from Barbosa, a nice switch kick, you know, something to watch out for. But, Kevin Lee's defense has always actually looked particularly good to kicks. Maybe not so punch, not so much the punches, but kicks. Kevin Lee's got a good beat on. In fact, he actually counters kicks really well too. So that's something to look forward to. And again, pressure fighters who can wrestle have been Barbosa's kryptonite. And ultimately, that's that's what led me to pick Lee in this fight. Even when the wrestlers who had pressure weren't wrestling, it was the fact that they had the wrestling threat and their pressure that led to them finishing the fight or coming close to finishing and winning the fight when talking about Jamie Varner or Danny Castillo, who technically didn't win, but probably should have got a draw in Edson in his fight. And we saw his, his success there. So, a lot of paths, and Lee has those tools. They both have the tools for each other, though. I mean, Lee, could, you could argue, is Chinny. Edson, one of the best knockout divisions in the artist, and uh, knockout artists in the division. And, of course, as I just laid out, Kevin Lee has the potential kryptonite for Barbosa. So, even though both guys are talented, tough, and will not go down without a fight. The fact they hold each other's kryptonite makes me believe that this is going to be a hard fight to go to the distance. And the fact that it's only listed, and it grew, I believe it was like close to minus 160. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to list minus 185 because of what it's at now. But minus 185 that this fight won't go to the distance. Um, I'm going to put it under a prop, but I'm going to list that you, you, I, I was thinking about slash you could, at least as far as my recommendations for whatever that's worth. It's a madman's game, as you know. Could be worth a parlay piece, and that is playing the prop of Edson Barbosa versus Kevin Lee. Fight will not go the distance for minus 185. I am doing a whole two units on that one. I know two units doesn't sound big, but it's all big for old conservative Dan Tom who does this for fun at a point of reference. But yes, I'm going to do two units um, just because just, I want to make that uh, that one plus unit back, of course. Uh, and again, we're talking about minus you know 185 of the odds you'll probably be getting that, be able to get it at. But uh, but yeah, um, gonna be, be putting at least two units down on that bad boy. Look for that article to drop. Article to drop bright and early Saturday morning, the day of the fights. I know I tried to get it Friday, but of course everything got pushed back. And even when this bullshit doesn't happen, sometimes just the MMA world and the way traffic goes, it gets pushed back to that day anyways, which is fine because really you shouldn't be making bets to the day of. We all want to be first to get the get to the line, but. Even before this stupid trend of ridiculous, you don't know what card you're going to get to the weigh-ins, wait till the weigh-ins, folks. Even before that trend of thought, it was still a rule of thumb that, at least for smart people, that you probably shouldn't be placing bets before the weigh-ins. So, with a recap and a sneak peek of what's going to be on my betting article list, no Magomed Bibliotov because that was canceled. Um, but for my fantasy list, I will be playing uh, Justin Willis from the top, Kevin Lee, Thiago Santos, Patrick Cummins, Alex Garcia is a dog, and of course, as another dog to round out the list of dogs, Keita Nakamura for a roster total of $49,500. $49, uh, props, Barbosa Lee won't go the distance, minus 185, two units, and the one and lone straight play, Keita Nakamura, plus 215, probably will be now plus 200 at one unit straight, fights to avoid. Smith Ladd, which apparently the UFC avoided as well and took that advice because that's no longer there, so. Divalishvili, Simon, Anderson, Cummins, and Bahadur Chagas on the avoid list. Wow. Okay. 54.06. Looks like we're going to close before our one-hour mark is promised. That, that was nice. All right. I recapped the last cards. Got everything out I wanted to for the most part. Recap this card. Um, yeah. Probably going to, you know, it's going to be quiet next week. I am covering Bellator right now, but... 
you know, and I'll probably talk about it on this year podcast because I know even though Dan struggles on these fight weeks, especially these back-to-back ones, I still have all intentions of keeping this as a weekly podcast. Thank you for those of you who are voting. And Dan Thomas feeling a bit down about not getting it out on time. And, uh, you know, it might not be the most votes on there, but it was more votes than I expected. That's for damn sure. Reminding myself that I have listeners because old Dan Tom still hasn't set up his old pod track. That's right. I do not have my analytics, so I don't know who's listening. So if you want to help old Dan Tom, let me know I'm listening. You're listening. Hit me up at Dan Tom MMA. More importantly, which you can find on the profile there, hit up the podcast, follow the podcast, message us, post, share. I like to reciprocate the shares for positive shares. You guys know that. At the PYN Podcast. The great thing about at the PYN Podcast is that is the same handle for not only Twitter, but also for Instagram and Facebook. That is at the PYN Podcast. Follow us. Uh, say some nice things. Let us know you're listening. Let us know what country you're from. Say, hey, I'm from this country. Long-time listener. Short-time listener. Listen once and you suck. Whatever you want, whatever the fuck you want to say. I am honestly fucking curious. Um, another way you can do that is just go to iTunes and leave us the review there. Uh, five-star ratings, of course, are appreciative. Uh, positive reviews are, of course, appreciative. It helps the algorithm. helps get this podcast out there. And, you know, more people listen. Maybe Dan Tom will finally... Well, I don't want to say get off his ass because, again, I'm working my ass off every fucking week. But we'll make sure, come hell or high water, that despite these distractions and crazy things from left field, health issues or things I can't or can't control, I'm tired of letting these things get in the way. I really want to get this podcast more off the ground. We're in year two now. We started in, what, UFC 207, the last day of 2016, slash the very beginning of 2017. We're now in 2018, almost midway through. I want to do stuff with this podcast. I really do. I, 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 uh, I, and when I say do stuff, I mean, I mean keeping it free, but just upping what I put into it because with all these podcasts, there's still not a lot of podcasts offering what either I offer or try to offer. I should say try to offer because I'm not, to be completely honest, not offering what I would like to offer. And I do completely admit that this is subpar, this podcast to my standards. So I'm not trying to bump my chest or ask anything of fair. But yeah, I do believe that I offer what not a lot of podcasts offer. Especially when you consider the unique angle of top five shows, which I'll be bringing back. I'm actually talking to uh, a friend of the show, uh, Daniel Levy, who's been on here to come on for another episode. Uh, again, try to get some new people on, but but now I'm kind of revisiting back to some older guests who, of course, I love all the guests I've had on here. But yeah, older guests who I want to get back on. And uh, But yeah, I, again, back to what I said, I, I, I like to think that I offer something that not a lot of podcasts offer. But more importantly, to finish that thought, more importantly, I do it for free and continue to do it for free and my intentions are to continue to do it for free for what that's worth so um, that is my goals and if you want to reciprocate whether you're excited for that goal or you're just excited or want to reciprocate for the all the free content that you've already gotten um, that I've been doing this thing feel free to hit us up on iTunes five star ratings and reviews or this podcast is hosted by MixedMartialAnalyst.com where you can find us if you don't have iTunes and you just want free smartphone friendly players that can play all the episodes archived anytime you want always at mixedmartialanalyst.com we have you covered and to reciprocate there of course we have our on it and Amazon click throughs I know a lot of you guys are on it fans I love the protein I use it every day I use the alpha brain any of that stuff it doesn't cost you any extra to go to mixedmartialanalyst.com click through the banner and you can buy whatever you normally buy except you're supporting the podcast and it doesn't cost you an extra dime it kicks back a little bit to us here at the protecting neck podcast and everybody's a winner same thing goes for amazon come on you use on it don't tell me you don't use amazon everybody uses amazon there are plenty of things you can use amazon for plenty of things you can buy it won't cost you anything extra if you do it and you use the again go through mixedmarshallanalyst.com the little click through banner on the side toggle if you need to if you're on the mobile and you will get there these little things you don't understand how much it helps how much it helps again i know i haven't been the best podcaster so i feel guilty for asking hell y'all know i hate soliciting soliciting so i am not the best asker or ask best promoter or best businessman in the first place but man does the five star ratings and reviews those help um, if you do want to spend money, don't spend any money on us. Spend money on yourself, but do it the click-through because that helps. It all helps. Most importantly, again, the positive word of mouth, sharing, following at the PYM podcast. Even if you don't plan on liking or following or you're not even going to add it to your dedicated feed, that's fine. All the follows, all the numbers help. I appreciate it. Thank you for spending time with me. 
Thank you for uh, suffering through another late podcast. Uh, we have some, we have a break, which means that they won't be as late. They will be much more fulfilling, much more filled. Have some top fives. Throw me your suggestions. And uh, have a good, safe 420, you know. Um, if you are going to be participating in any drugs or recreations, might as well do the one that doesn't hurt your liver and is safe and, and thankfully is now becoming illegal. Let's get on it. USADA and UFC will stop punishing fighters for it. Celebrate for the fighters, though, this weekend. How about that? And as always, until next time, protect your next.